Our Bible reading this morning is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, great letter of Paul, the Apostle, which is written to the Christians in the church at Ephesus and therefore is, is written with an emphasis to the Christian people and he speaks in the opening chapter of, of what it has meant for them to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, saying, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's just pause a moment prayer. Lord, we do want to come to you. We want to come and listen, listen to your word. Lord, I pray that as we come before the throne of grace, we might know the word of grace speaking in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to turn to uh, the passage that I read with you in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I confess I actually did have some PowerPoints. I didn't bring them with me, so and I did, forgot all about it when I got here anyway. But um, apologies for that. I'm sure you do use them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we're going to look at this wonderful, wonderful subject of amazing grace. I wonder, do you ever look back over the years and recall things that you used to do? And the older you get, the further you have to go, can look back. And of course, uh, I'm in that area now when I can look back a long way and, 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 and recall things like uh, seeing England win the World Cup. That was amazing. Or, George Best playing for Man United in the European Cup final in 1968. Even Celtic winning the European Cup in 1967. Sorry if you're not into sport. But there we go. We can remember things from long ago. Maybe you remember those Sunday school outings that we used to go to and used to pack into Ballymena Railway Station. You could fill the station, all these people waiting for that puffer chuffer to come down from Belfast. We all got on board. We went up to Coleraine. You looked out the window and got something dirty in your eye and you had a horrible day the rest of the day. Or maybe it's those days at school that you remember. Maybe they were good days. Maybe they weren't so good. I don't know. You only know that. 
Maybe you were one of those people who liked to play pranks on your teacher, putting the, the duster above the door, holding it in place, and he walked in and it fell on his head. You done that one? Try it out. <laughs> uh, those are the sort of things people might have got up to. Maybe you got up to. I don't know. We recall many are happening in our lives, some with joy and laughter. Sometimes there are times of regret. We look back with sad, sadness as we remember things that happened, sad things that maybe happened in the nation or sad things that have happened in our homes and family life. And there are regrets and there are tears. Looking at your life today, who you are and what you are, I want to ask the question, are you okay with God? Are you okay with God? And I want to do, as we look through these verses, think about what it means to be okay with God. Because that's what, what Paul's really doing as he takes us through these chapters in Ephesians. And the first things that, thing that he sets out to us is, remember what you were, or remember what you are, if you're not a Christian. But to Christians, he is saying, remember what you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 1. Are you okay with God? As you look back over your days, the things you used to do, the places you used to frequent, perhaps your life was not or is not all that bad. Maybe you would say, I've been a right decent guy. I've done all right. I haven't done a lot of people any harm. I've, I've lived my life as best as I can. And, and for you, things are, seem quite good. But this one thing is sure and common to everyone. Paul says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. If you're not a Christian, Paul's saying you are dead in the trespasses and sin in which you are walking. Every day, God speaks. God speaks to you through his wonderful creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. It's out there. We can see it and know it. There are those who want to say it's nothing to do with God. But when you look at all of the wonder of the world, and you see those little birds in all of their beautiful color, how they care for their children. There's a wonderful wee thing. They, uh, they've been watching a curlew somewhere up in the Andrum Hills. I think it's up near Murfield somewhere. And we're watching a curlew with a curlew on webcam, sitting on a nest, trying to protect its little its eggs that it might have ch little curlews. Birds that were so popular long ago in our meadows, now they're almost extinct. But God has made them and God has taught them how to sit on those eggs, how to care for their little ones. You look at the, the fish in the sea and, and, and all of the brightness and beauty that there is there. Or look at any insect and how they know how to, to do what they need to do. And how they, all, all animals, all creatures know how to care for their young. It's an amazing world. The world around you speaks of the invisible God. And in our hearts and in our minds, we know right from wrong. You have a sense of right and wrong. And all of that is being tested today by those who want to do their own thing and, and see that there's nothing wrong in doing what you want to do or being what you want to be, even though God's word says something very different. Many, if not all of you, have had the benefit and the influence of good parents and right teaching and how that has made an impact upon your conscience. You were brought up through Sunday school, through organizations. You've been taught the word of God. You have maybe read the word of God as a little child. Your parents prayed with you. 
And deep down you know that there is a God, a God who has required us to live according to his law and that there is also a final day of judgment that is going to come and you cannot escape these powerful voices of God the Lord speaking. Sunday school, church services, other services. You're hearing the message of the Bible being taught and explained. You've never been ignorant of the truth or unaware of the gospel. And yet we sin constantly, failing to come anywhere near to God's standard. And we don't care. The world doesn't care. The world keeps going on in its flow, doing what it wants to do. Some attend church but are not really listening. Paul says we were dead, or you are dead. And that which is dead is unable to do anything for itself, unable to respond. God's speaking to us many times, perhaps, but we were not listening, did not want to listen. Stuart Olliot, um, in his little commentary on Ephesians, speaks of a time when he and a young, had a young friend, and sadly his young friend died very suddenly. And the young friend was taken in to the home, into a room. Stuart Olliant went into that room, and he just naturally wanted to talk to his friend. He says, I recalled how a week ago we, we sat together talking about spiritual things. And there in that room I wanted to talk to my friend, say things to him, but he didn't respond. There was no voice to speak by. There was no acknowledgement of what he was saying because the young man was dead. And Stuart Olliot uses that to just remind us that that's how we are in sin, dead. Unable to do anything, say anything, or be anything. And yet God is speaking to us. We did not hear him or desire him, for in our dead spiritual condition, it is just impossible to respond. You were dead in sin. I was dead in sin. Slaves to sin, says Paul in verses 2 and 3, walking, uh, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Slaves to Satan. Living as sinners in a sinful world, we're living in opposition to God. We're following the ways of the world. We love to do what others are doing. We're living without God in our lives. We prefer to walk with the crowd and do what is pleasing and popular because Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He has enslaved men and women to be what he wants them to be. Living for self, self-indulgence, self-ambition, self-pleasure. In our unconverted state, there, there was no thought of God it was all about doing our own thing. Give God Sunday morning, that seems enough. That's how many would used to live. And that's maybe how you're living now. And in that unconverted condition, we are under the wrath of God. As Paul says, verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. No one likes to think of God as a God of wrath. But the Bible teaches plainly that the wrath of God is against sin and sinners. The wrath of God is derived from his absolute holiness that does not allow sin to thrive, that cannot tolerate sin in his presence. 
So even the minutest sin is anathema to a holy God. So Paul says we're all objects of God's wrath and in a terrible condition that could well bring us down into eternal destruction. And being truthful, we deserve to suffer the eternal punishment of God. Psalm has said it in Psalm 103. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. What does our sin deserve? Condemnation. So think about it. Are you okay with God? Look at your life now. Look at your life in the past. Where do you stand before a holy God? But Paul moves on, verse, uh, verse 4, where he says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Consider what we are. Alive in Christ. Consider what you were, dead in sin. Consider what we are, alive in Christ. And Paul has painted this, this bleak picture of human helplessness to throw into relief God's gracious and merciful response to it. And those two little words, but God, are so significant and move us on in such, such big strides to see the greatness of God's love and God's mercy. These words effectively tell us what God has done. How God intervened in what otherwise was an utterly hopeless situation. Dead in sin, enslaved to Satan, objects of the wrath of God, but now made alive in Christ. There is freedom from bondage. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What a difference. And every child of God, born again of the Spirit of God, is alive in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, you have experienced resurrection. You were dead in sin. But the power of God came in and the power that raised Jesus from the dead and brought him out of the cold stony tomb is the same power that reaches down to bring us out of the coldness, darkness of our sinful ways in our conversion. We are just like Lazarus, lying in the tomb, dead. But the voice of Jesus speaks and says, rise, come forth. And we are lifted up with Christ. The word we had heard a thousand times before suddenly begins to speak with meaning to the heart. Where before we had blown it, allowed it to just blow over our head, it's now disturbing our thoughts, it's pricking the conscience with an, enormous, with an enormous awareness of the sin that is within and suddenly it all comes to life and it all has meaning and we begin to look and to cry out to Jesus Christ for mercy. Spiritual resurrection moves us to Christ. And we embrace him as he is so plainly held out to us in the gospel. Alive in Christ means no longer dead in sin, but a living spiritual being in Christ Jesus. And every Christian is alive in Christ because of the cross. His death 
was not for any sins of his own. His punishment was not for anything that he had done, but it was for your sin and it was for my sin. And he has died your death and my death, which is why our sins can be considered as punished because he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, you also were reckoned to have risen from the dead. You are alive in Christ. That is the glorious position of belonging to Jesus. Alive in Christ, you are free from bondage. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 6. You see, after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven where he has continued to dwell in the majesty of God the Father. And every converted soul is united to Christ. Where he is, we are. Just as Jesus said, that where I am, there you may be also. And it is a tremendous privilege for the Christian that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. There are no slaves in heaven. We are free. If we are raised with Christ and able to sit in the heavenly realms, it is as free men and women. Sin no longer has dominion. Satan's power is broken down. Christ has triumphed. Hallelujah. And he wears the victor's crown. Sin's shackles have been broken. And as saints of God, we are free to live righteous lives as we serve our God and King. Alive in Christ, you're no longer under God's wrath, but are glad recipients of his incomparable riches. John Stott comments on the immensity of these two words, but God, as setting against the desperate condition of fallen mankind, it is, the gracious initiative, the sovereign action of God has rescued us. We were objects of his wrath. But God, out of the great love with which he loved us, had mercy upon us. God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. We are alive in Christ. And alive in Christ, you are God's workmanship. As verse 10 puts it. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There are those that think Christians are people who live good lives in order to be saved. There are those who think that by living good lives they will be saved. How wrong they are. Brian Chapel writes, Good works alone will neither take you to heaven nor keep you from hell. Sobering thought. But we are to live good lives because we are saved. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good works that honor our God. God wants his children to be different. He has given us all tasks to do. He has given us all talents that we can use, and he wants us to use them for his glory. And if you are a Christian, your life must show that you're a Christian by the works that you do and the life that you live. Do the things of God have a high place in your list of priorities? Do you love the place of worship? Do you long to meet together with God's people to praise his name on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening? Do you love the place of prayer? To gather in and seek God 
pray to God. Love the place of Bible study. You might learn from God's word. You love that time with God alone in the morning as you read or through the day as you read his word. Do you seek to help others because you know that you're acting graciously as God has acted graciously to you? These are the vital things of grace that God has provided for his church to grow, that we might, we might grow in him. Are you okay with God? Is God satisfied with you? Thirdly, we ask, what makes the difference? Well, the answer is we are saved by grace. Remember what you were. Consider what you are. What makes a difference? Amazing grace. God makes a difference. He is the one, God, rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You were dead. Who gave you life? God. We couldn't do anything for ourselves, but God made us alive together with Christ. Out of his great love for us, we are made alive. C.S. Lewis describes the love of God by saying, God who needs nothing, loves into existence holy superfluous creations in order that he may love and perfect them. As he formed the universe with all its beauty and splendor, he could already see the nails that would hold his son to a cross and purchase salvation for many. And it is God's everlasting decree which has decided that your life should be changed around, that you should live differently, that you should spend your days doing things that are pleasing to God. Do you know how much God really cares for you? If God treated us as we deserved, then nothing but retribution should follow. God is compassionate and merciful. He reached out to save through the death of Jesus. And for as long as he has been God, it has been his will that you should be a new person in Christ, that you should live accordingly. God makes the difference. Grace makes the difference. And the reason that you are a Christian does not lie in anything to do with you, but in what he is and who he is. Nothing in us, nothing in my hands I bring simply I cross, I cling. Nothing in us but that, but what is within God. He's the one who moved us. See, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. There are people who deserve big punishment, but somehow mercifully are delivered from it. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. What you do not deserve. God's wrath has not fallen on us as it could and should have. For he is rich in mercy. And instead he has heaped on us blessing of, of, of over blessing. Chosen in Christ, redeemed in Christ, adopted into the family of Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are heirs of this glorious inheritance that is in with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Or as Paul repeats it again in verse 8. 
By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace makes a difference. And faith makes a difference. Faith is what moves us Christwards. All that Christ has done for us to make us alive in him is received by faith. Faith looks up and says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, lift me up and help me stand by faith on Canaan's table land. Faith believes and trusts fully in the work of Christ as the only way of salvation. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Yet even faith comes from God into our hearts. Being dead in sin, God made us alive. He quickened us by his spirit. He planted in our hearts the seed of faith and seeds grow. Salvation is a gift from God. Salvation belongs to our God. We receive it by faith. God makes a difference. Grace makes a difference. Faith makes a difference. Remember what you were. Consider what you are. Grace makes the difference. God has done a wonderful work in the heart of every believer. And for those of us here this morning who are believers... We have to acknowledge that we too were once unresponsive, ungodly, and objects of God's wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, loved us with everlasting love. Now you are resurrected. Now you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and able to look forward to an eternity of perfect praise. We rejoice in our salvation. And we can say we are okay with God because Christ has made us acceptable to God. But maybe you're here this morning and as yet you have not yet, you have not yet come in faith to Jesus Christ. And I ask the question again, are you okay with God? How can you be okay with God if Christ is on the outside? Maybe today you're, you're still unsure. Today you're still living your life as pleases you. You're still rejecting God's offer of grace and God's forgiveness in Christ. But maybe today the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. And he's saying to you, it is time to seek the Lord. It is time to trust in Jesus. We were singing that lovely hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. How does God bid us come? Through his word, imploring us to come. And I plead with you this morning, I implore, with you, I implore you this morning, if you're still outside of Christ, that you might come and trust in Jesus. Come to the Saviour, make no delay. Here in his word, he calls you today. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Bow your head, confess your sin, and ask for Jesus to forgive. Let's pray together.
Father, as we just bow in your presence right now, we thank you that you are a God of love, and a God of mercy, and a God of grace. We acknowledge, O oh God, our own condition before you as those who are dead in trespasses and in sin. But you can make alive that which is dead. And I pray, O oh God, that even if today there is one heart here that is struggling with the burden of sin and tormented with the issues of salvation, that you will cause that person to come, saying, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed from Calvary. And those who love you to rejoice, to rejoice in our salvation, to rejoice that we are alive in Christ, to rejoice that we are living for our God. May we do so for his glory. Amen.